Why don't you call me an object? I'm sorry. I don't know what else to call you. Why? You don't know. No, I don't. Please tell me. Well, Miss Almelmay, it seems that you have no body. What happened to my body? It's dead. Gone. You're a disembodied brain kept alive by a scientist. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and today I'm joined for the second time by a much less work in progress human, Doug Wilson. How you going, Doug? Hello. Yes. It's great to have you back on. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have a chat. It feels like we've done a hundred podcasts together, but we just haven't had the microphones on. So we've been doing a, I'm not going to call it a secret project. It wasn't a secret, but we've been doing a project for, I don't know, since, since we did the podcast, the first one, which was episode 20, right? I think. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. So we've been recording an audiobook version of Doug's Kundalini running book. And, uh, it turns out that's a lot of work. <laughs> uh, we literally just finished uploading the the, the audio book and uh, that's apparently going to be published at some point somewhere. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. It's in so, the, it's not in our hands anymore. We've done, we've done the hard work and now we see how it plays out. That's right. Exactly. But that's involved uh, sort of we- weekly visits. Well, not weekly, but bi-weekly maybe visits and uh, locking Doug in my closet to record. And um, during those times, we've had a lot of uh, chats. Sometimes we chatted more than we recorded. So this isn't a new thing. This is just a couple of things that I thought were really good topics that we've covered before. And I just wanted to sort of do them with the mic on instead of uh, just keep them to ourselves because there was some pretty cool stuff. Hopefully we can keep that same flow of conversation. So yeah, we've always sort of found a lot of agreement on stuff, which is strange in some ways because physically speaking, you and I are like chalk and cheese. I'm sort of the food addicted couch potato type and you're a you're out there winning marathons, but somehow our brains have a fair bit of agreement on stuff. Yeah, very much. And I was trying to think what's something that we didn't really agree on or something that a wisdom that you've imparted to me that I haven't accepted yet. And the one that stuck out for me was that, and of course, it's one of those things where this would be a very inconvenient belief for me, given our physical difference. But you've always said that taking care of the physical is just as important to feed consciousness as reading books or thinking about things or, you know, watching YouTube videos, which is the source of all truth. So it's something that obviously that's difficult for me to accept. And we used to talk, we, I think the example that we came up with was the brain in the jar. If you could just be a brain in a jar and not have to worry about health and uh, uh, all these physical things would you not just be the same consciousness? And I suppose it's kind of obvious you wouldn't be, right? Absolutely. But at the same time, I kind of feel like 
if I had that choice, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of maintenance to a body. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff to do. Mm. Oh. I can't really be bothered to be honest. Yeah. And it goes, <laughs> it goes even further beyond um, just thinking of things as like skin and bone. Yeah. We have to realize that our nervous system plays a huge part in, in how we learn and how we experience the world. Mm. Our emotions dictate our actions. So yeah, there's a lot more going on. I think the way that we often perceive things like the mind and the physical body as being very linear, mm. but they're not. They're very, they're very multifaceted, being impacted by many, many things. And it's something that we could delve quite deeply into, but without having like diagrams and all these sort of things, we'll, we'll be qu- quite limited in how far into it we can go. But um, I'm happy well, we to- can, We can give a sense of it, mm. I think. It's, I, I do want to go through all of that. Um, and, and some particular aspects of it as well um, that I know that you're expert in. Um, the reason I came up with this whole thing was I was listening to Sam Harris the other day, um, the podcast uh, 168, Mind, Space and Motion. And Sam Harris talks to this uh, woman, uh, Barbara Tversky, I don't know how to say it, but something like that, about how the brain is well over 50% devoted to detecting space and motion mm-hmm. or analyzing space and governing motion. And that um, a lot of human behavior is based around motion and space mm-hmm. um, and the physical side as opposed to... So her point was basically that um, uh, you can theorize about stuff till you're blue in the face, but while you're theorizing, you're probably moving your hands and moving your hands is as much about the thought process and the communication as it is and communication with gestures and so on. Um, And it made me think about, well, if that's true, which it's obviously true, I mean, the brain is doing all these things all the time, then, you know, how important is the physical realm to consciousness itself? And I got to thinking that perhaps it's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you even step further into that and think about things from the physical, it's not just the brain that's making us have the experience. It's the whole nervous system yeah. So playing that big part. And I always say when teaching um, yoga classes and meditation classes is we have these multiple forms of energy. So not just physical energy, but basically at the simplest form, if you think about our body, it's like a signaling mechanism back to consciousness. So yes. our bodies are always just trying to give us inputs and not just our physical body, the mental body, the emotional mm. the emotional body. So when we say body in yoga, we mean just like a, a, a collection of energy or information. Mm-hmm. So we know that we have like an emotional output. We know that we have a mental experience and, phys- and these physical experiences. And, they, and the sum of all those vibrations or energy they're just constantly trying to feed back to our con- our awareness, yeah. con- consciousness, awareness, um, to let us know things. So things like pain, discomfort, it's trying to tell us something. And, and that's not just, again, it's not just a physical thing. So we know if we chuck our hand on a stove and it burns and hurts, we go- Tell me about it. Yeah, go. <laughs> You've got to stop doing that. Let's, let's not do that ag- again. Yeah. In the same sense, like if we want to go into our consciousness more, uh, things like emotional pain and emotional trauma like things energetically get imprinted into the system or into our 
fr- frame of reference for future things mm. to try and protect ourselves from pain. So the physical, this is where you can start to say mental pain, physical pain, emotional pain, or pleasant experiences, they're all just giving us information as points of reference so we can move, if you want to go back into that point, we can move through space. Mm. So we can you know, make more informed choices. And I think that that's something that's like we're at this ongoing recording process, like everything's being written into the nerves and into everything. It's all patterning and the body remembers. And we know that there's neuroplasticity. Yeah. So that's, and because that. Can you explain that concept? So that the brain's always changing and adapting and, and evolving. It's based on our experiences. So mm. giving us that, those cog- cognitive functions, basically. The brain learns constantly and we can get caught up in that, 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 all happens at early on, but it happens throughout our whole life. It's just that we get so fixated at points that it may slow down. But from my own experience, that's an ongoing thing. And if if we know that's true for the brain, well, our central nervous system's made of the same tissue, mm. so it has to be the same. So our body and we don't, we're not wait we're, wait wait. So our central nervous system is made of the same tissue as the brain. Yeah. So the central nervous system is actually. Well, so when we say central nervous system, that's the brain brainstem and the, the the column of nerves running through yeah, the spine the bundle that's, of cables yeah that, that stuff's all made out of the same material that's interesting because um when i got rheumatic fever mm-hmm. when i was an adult you're supposed to get it when you're a kid um i was told that the reason that that happens is it's basically an anti-immune response so your immune system you get the streptococcal virus and your immune system becomes hypersensitive to streptococcal and it starts to look at your joints, the tissue in your joints, and see the same shape as the streptococcal bacteria. And it starts to attack your joints, thinking that it's the same virus. And it starts, so it gets really sensitive. Uh, I, I think of it as like a, a thing, like a thing that thinks, like a sentient being, but mm-hmm. it starts to get really sensitive. Like, we don't want to get that again. That was horrible. It nearly choked us to death. Mm. Um, and one of the side effects of that is it can actually attack your brain as well. So, Obviously, the soft tissue in your knees and joints has some similarity on a, I guess, a you know, microscopic level to the tissue in your brain as well. If your immune system can't tell the difference when it gets psychotic, basically. <laughs> yeah. So everything in the body or all the functions in the body are kind of doing that. They're running off processes that we don't govern. Mm. So it's running off like fundamental forces of nature. And any autoimmune disease is basically the body starting to attack itself. Yeah. And there, yeah, there is an inter- interesting thing to, to think about. And we don't know enough about the immune system to, we know we have an immune system, but still like a lot of things that we know about in modern science, we know that we have these things, but we don't know why. And we don't know. Is it autonomous or does the brain govern it though? Can I can I try and heal a disease by thinking about it? Uh, well, that's where you start to get into this quite interesting area. Um, from a perspective from the the type of yoga that we practice, Kundalini yoga, um, we w- we would look at it and say we can influence those systems by um, creating various breath patterns mm-hmm. um, and various movements and angles and adapt like changing the body that way. Mm. Um, we can stimulate responses in the nervous system because. Yeah, and 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 the way that we approach it, and the intent that we bring to to everything that we do, plays a huge part in the overall outcome. So even even in the sense, if if somebody hears that and goes, "Oh, what a load of shit," mm. you know, that's already going to have an impact because it's going to be approached 
in in a negative way or in a way mm. where you don't believe it's going to work and and i think there's a lot of merit to that and for, speaking from my own experiences the stuff that i have experienced through these practices if i hadn't experienced them and somebody just came along and said hey you can you can strengthen your nervous system by sitting down and doing this specific breathing technique yeah i would have said no you can't why would I have, uh, ha- like, why would I believe, you know, why would I believe somebody with not having experienced that? I don't know. I think it's, there's there's a logic to it, right? That a nervous system's a physical thing. It's something that's in place to detect mm-hmm. uh, issues around the body, you know, um, what's happening to sense yeah. the world around it. So if it's a physical thing, of course, it can be manipulated in a physical way. You know, I, one of the most interesting things that keeps sticking in my brain about your, is the stuff you've told me about yoga and whatever, which none of which I've put into practice, by the way, still, but we'll work on that. (laughs) But um, when you were talking about how certain poses are designed to crush nerves and organs, well, not crush, that sounds bad, but to to, stimulate, yeah, Yeah. but to um, compress, I Mm -hmm. guess is more the word. And that really makes sense to me. I feel like the body in a lot of ways needs to be told where it needs to be tough as well. Mm. So I spend a lot of time sort of abusing my body in ways to tell it, you know, man up, buddy. You know, and like this, this is, you got to deal with this. Something you're touching on there is like key to all of this is we also think that everybody's the same. Mm. So like what works for somebody should work for somebody else. But again, it's so such a complex system that we, mm. that, that our consciousness resides in. It's mm. so complex. And there's so many things that can go wrong with it. Mm. So it's not that one you know, yogic exercise is going to fix the problems for everybody else. So what we have within the practice of Kundalini yoga is thousands and thousands of different combinations of techniques. And, right. and if somebody actually knows what they're doing properly, they should be able to sit down with somebody and identify where the imbalances are from behavioral patterns. Certain thought patterns will indicate where the imbalances in the body are, um, depending like, because they're all tied back to behavioral things as well. So like a perfect example is, is like things like issues with the thyroid, mm. for example. So the thyroid mm, in the body, that a lot these yeah, days. it regulates things like metabolic rates, the temperature of the body. Um, so there's blood and, you know, passing through, it's feeding back information back up to the pituitary gland about how much it should release certain levels of hormones. So we have the correct protein synthesis in the body. So we have all these sort of things. So that's just one of the examples of the gland mm. of the thyroid. So we know, for example, you say it's a quite common thing. People have thyroid issues, hyperthyroidism or whatever the other one is, the low one. Um, hypo. Hypo, hyper and hypo. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah, right. That's it, yeah. So again, you need to know how to correct that. So it is. there's a science to, to what we're doing. And I think because sort of practices yoga and meditation, they, they, there isn't enough scientific, scientific research about stuff that a lot of peop, people don't believe that can work. But... I've seen for myself that, you know, if, if they're applied properly and people use the, use the techniques and use them properly and use them with self-discipline and ongoing, it can correct a lot of um, problems within the body. That's not to say make claims like, you know, somebody gets, is, you know, stage four cancer and say, hey, sit down, do this breathing technique, you're going to be mm. fine. I don't believe in that at all. I, I look at all this stuff as more preventative and like maintenance when you're already in an okay state Mm. once we're too far gone and the body's attacking itself or whatever sometimes it is too late but yeah there's definitely merit to to 
using these things. We have to understand if you you know you know if you've got an injury or mm. you feel uncomfortable, how much does do you think about it? But if you're a brain in a jar, okay, you wouldn't have pain. You wouldn't have any distractions. You'd be pure consciousness with no experience. I don't know what it would be like, but I don't think it would be distracting. It would be the opposite. It would there'd be nothing to stimulate your thought. But if you're just a brain in in a jar. You've got you've got no other sensory input. No, that's so right. You're not having any experience. No. So the brain is there to process the world around us, and then we make our kind of minds up about what we what we believe in. And this goes back to you saying about fifty percent. I didn't sit, watch the podcast that you mm. were talking about. It. So uh, she said way more than fifty percent. Yeah, which yeah. which which you got to think about it. Like the brain, if you understand, like the the what the way light hits our eyes, and then how our how our brains then interpret that into like vision and stuff like that it's insane what's going on and you've got all these parts of the brain like the the lobes for the optic lobe and and, the, and really specific compartments yeah, to do and, specific things and the um one of the things that she said actually no it was in a video i was watching on this topic uh before you arrived uh this guy said we have a particular area of the brain that activates when we watch cartoons, specifically cartoons, when we're responding to drawings of real life. Yeah. And like, it's like we have, you wouldn't think that we would evolve to have a response to cartoons, but we do apparently. Yeah. It's well, all of those things that have evolved, if it's really much like a, like the way a computer chip evolves, mm. you know, how we make the transistors smaller on the same die. And then we start segmenting it into like that can have the GPU on it and mm. you know it gets broken down. And then we just build them in factories. And, well, the brain's yeah. evolved the same way. I know. It, it's, it's so it, weird It's though. evolved into a way. And you, you go back to that whole thing with, um, with how much of it's used, like the cortex is used for processing um, light. And, mm. you know, that's a very complex system. It's mm. one of the reasons when you look at meditation, it's why you close the eyes. Mm, right. So you close the eyes and all of a sudden it shuts off a lot of that activity like mm. the brain's not having to work as hard so then you can use because it's all working on it's got a finite amount of resources right it's got bandwidth mm. so you you look at meditation it's one of the reasons why why you do it predominantly with the eyes closed because you shut down that activity of the brain it means the brain can focus on other things and that's what meditation is actually in essence all about is just focus and concentration and to learn how to understand what's happening energetically within the system. You know, it's interesting you say that. When I first, when I did my first episode of this podcast, I did at least half of it with my eyes closed. Yeah. Couldn't yeah. get started yeah. with, with my eyes open. There was too much stuff to look at and think about and distract me. Yeah. And yeah, I closed, closed my eyes and I could do it at yeah. that point. I'm, yeah. I'm, I can do it with my eyes open now, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, those first few episodes, I had to close my eyes and shut it all out. Yeah, one of the things, the video that I was watching, it was quite interesting. It was a visually impaired guy who was a scientist of some kind. And he was talking about how when you're visually impaired, you're actually subject to hallucinations because the areas of the brain that are left discarded or unused because you don't have the visual perception coming in, the, the senses, um, they start to act up and create images mm -hmm. where they aren't being fed images. So there's specific types of hallucinations. Some people see geometric shapes, and that's a particular area of the brain that starts to, um, you know, uh, act up. Light up under MRI. Some people see faces because we've got a part of the brain that's devoted to 
just recognizing faces, obviously, which is one of the things that now an Apple iPhone can do. So mm-hmm. I think we're in big trouble. Siri's mm-hmm. going to catch up pretty soon, but yeah, that we've got a whole area of the brain for that. And there was a few other types of things that people were doing. And apparently there's thousands of people having these hallucinations. They never mention it to anybody because they're afraid of being called insane. Yeah, it's interesting because now what are you talking about? It, it, what what defines like a hallucination? Because mm. you can we, can we can both sit here and you can start playing your favorite song in your head mm. and hearing it. You're hearing it. Mm. You, you know what? You, you can hear it. Is that a hallucination? It's based on something real. Yeah. So it's what's that tell you about the way that there's something else about us that can process vibration? Yeah. So it's not just... It's not just always sensory. There is part of our being that's connected to, because it's still got to be some level of vibration. Yeah. So this is where you get to go into a bit more of that funky sort of area where it's a bit harder to understand. Well, that's what we're here for. Let's get into so it. So I, I, I always look at it as you have consciousness, so mm. the, the, the grand scheme of consciousness. And I always like to think about it in the way if you understand how light- You're talking about shared consciousness. Yeah, not, universal consciousness. Not individual so, sentience. And, and, and also in, in the sense that there's a universal mind. So we all have our individual interpretations of the mind. Mm. But that's running off how our nervous system is configured, right? So we're having that unique interpretation because of the sensory input we've had from our lives. But the mind in itself, when you learn to break it down in meditation and you learn to break a lot of that noise down, you realize that it is a natural phenomena of nature. Mm. So I always like to think about it in a sense that in, in the same way that there's light, light contains all the vibrations of visible light. So, you know, when you put it through a prism, it breaks it down into red light to yeah. ultraviolet light, and they're just different varying wavelengths. wavelengths. Yeah. So in the same way, I look at the, the, the state of a universal mind or like a grander scheme of consciousness as, as a, a big light. Um, it just it's, it's, it's waveform or a it's, vibrational. It's, well, it's its own light, but within that, it contains all of the wavelengths of existence. And we're not just talking now ones that are based on the electromagnetic spectrum, because mm. we see some pretty funky things in nature, even with sound. The way that sound influences, like the shape of sound and stuff like that, it's pretty funky patterns. Yeah, that it can create. So you, you start to see that, or I see anyway, from what my experience is that. You have this grander scheme of consciousness within that all the vibrations that could or could not be just like with light and electromagnetic wavelengths yeah there's this other sense and that's the the, the grander scheme of the mind and that is stretched everywhere across the universe just like gravity in the same way and the same way that we impact on gravity we have an impact the stars impact on us and it's an it's a body of mass is constantly interchanging with gravity. Mm. Same way, the way that we think and move and act, it's all going into the grander scheme of consciousness, all being recorded. So what do you think about like 5G and these types of things? Because I've been, um, I've had an interesting experience recently. I've got these new headphones, wireless headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just chuck the earbuds in, there's no cables. Mm-hmm. And I can actually, using those, I can actually detect how much wireless signal there is interfering with my headphones, right? Because sometimes I'll be listening to um, a podcast or something and I'll be near another person and it'll start 
distorting or, or crackling or whatever, get interference, right? Another person with the same sort of headphones on? No, oh, no. Okay. They can just be carrying a cell phone. I've found iPhones are the worst. If you get near someone with an iPhone, it'll take over your your whole life. <laughs> they I, must have a stronger signal or something. I don't know. I knew, and it, sometimes you can hear what they're listening to? No, no, no. no. It just it just breaks up the sound in my headphones, so I don't, okay. I don't hear anything else. But... It'll stutter. It'll miss parts of the audio. It'll it'll cut out for a while, and you know while I'm at the train station or certain areas, uh, even when there aren't people around, sometimes it starts to drop out, and you go, I wonder how many frequencies I'm being bombarded with right now, and they're just the ones that happen to affect this particular brand of headphones. Well, that's so, that's all we are being bombarded by is frequencies. Yeah, constantly, um, and the things like five G. Asking in a sense, is it going to be bad for our health? Mm. Um, I don't think so. I don't think it's strong enough to be. I think it's when it starts to ionize or where it starts to have an effect on the cells, like sunlight. Mm. It's like a high. Is a the magnitude of five G to compared to sunlight is it's still there's a huge gap there. But there are people saying, and yeah, I don't know the science of it, but there are um, people saying that it's it, it can. If concentrated enough, it can actually burn flesh at these types of. So it could burn so that, brain tissue, for so, instance, so if you had headphones to- or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, they're saying it's it's we're getting into frequencies now where we're microwaving ourselves. Well, basically. we're getting we're getting we're definitely getting closer to that. Yeah. So the the higher the frequency, the 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 more damage it can do. Mm. So the the thing with five G is it's it's at a high higher frequency, so it can carry more information, have has a high, higher bandwidth. But uh, I still I still think it's pretty far away from like things like that that cause cancer and stuff like that, like sunlight and stuff like that. I think the order of magnitude is still quite big. But do you think people under who live under power cables get health issues? Don't know. I, I don't, think that was a yeah. Is that Aaron Brockovich or something? Yeah, there's yes. there's been stuff around that. Well, there's that comes down to like every again everything is is causing that like kind of electromagnetic response like power running through lines has definitely causes like a field of energy around that the electromagnetic field again i don't know i don't know enough about the the studies into it i don't i don't see how it could um i think i don't see it either i don't i I really don't know i know we have uh, you know we emit electromagnetic signals and so on from our brains and our bodies yeah all of that anything with current running through it has responds the electromagnetic force so yeah we're emitting light ourselves or at least reflecting it back anyway um so everything is just a constant exchange of energy and vibration certainly like yeah the i think the the long-term effects of all these things like 5G, we'll have to wait and see. I, I, well, we're going to find out pretty yeah. quick. They're rolling it out regardless. So. Yeah, I, me personally, I'm not worried about it. It's not the sort of stuff that that, that worries me. I, I'd be more worried about in terms of health and stuff like, um, well, we, we should really think about all of the vibra- like all of the vibrations that we interact with. Mm. So not just like what physically is sort of coming through radiation and stuff like that, but more so like what's the energy around us because mm. that to me also impacts us do you a, consider that way. when we talk about the physical realm mm-hmm. all of this is physical right this is yeah. you're talking about energies that cause yeah that have so any forms and that anything within the electromagnetic spectrum basically or even without it really i mean or outside it because for 
just because we can't perceive it doesn't mean it doesn't affect us. I, right? I, I absolutely. I, that's where I, that's where I think that, that there's actually more. There's way more to it than what we can see. Yeah. Um, and that's where I say, like, well, the electromagnetic spectrum in itself is, you know, still a huge range of frequencies, but that's a very very small part of all of the energy within, like, the universe that we live in. So yeah. Um, there's way more, there's way more types of energy out there than I, than, or well, that's, you know, through my experience anyway. So, and, and matter is energy and particles do vibrate, right? Mm-hmm. So in a sense, uh, matter is just another form of the same thing. So surely if matter, we know matter can affect other matter mm-hmm. pretty easily, or we don't need to punch each other in the face to know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know who'll win the fight, but you know, I think I'd. Cause I fight dirty, so yeah. But um, yeah. With your, with your eyes closed or open, <laughs> <laughs> we we don't condone violence on this podcast. There is no violence unless it serves a narrative purpose. Yeah, <laughs> it'll make a good story. Yeah, that's right. But um, it's not inconceivable to think that the electromagnetic spectrum could affect matter and vice versa, right? That all of these things we call them a spectrum. They're just it's just a range. It's mm-hmm. it's not really. I think if you just extrapolate what we know about the world and how it works. Everything's energy mm-hmm. and energy affects energy. And there is nothing, there's either nothing or there's energy, right? Essentially. Yeah. So if energy can affect things, I, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I can see why people worry about it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I've walked through all sorts of fields and, you know, magnetic fields and, and Wi-Fi signals and, and whatever and, and never also felt anything. Things are going to affect people differently as well. Yeah, you know what I mean. So not everybody. Like, it's just the same reason why um, people can smoke their whole lives and it doesn't affect them. Mm. You know, like they they might get to their nineties and then die of something totally unrelated to a smoking death. Mm. You know, so you've got to look at that as well. So everybody's affected by things differently, and you know, this is where you can start to get into those quite kind of strange realms of thinking like why that is is it is it it a totally physiological thing or is it because that person that smoked you know for 70 years never worried about it could be so does what how how does that play because i i I believe that as well um from my own experiences the things that i worry most about like affect me the most so but there are so this that's an interesting idea because i've always felt like or I've always observed in myself a kind of um, belief that I'm somehow invincible, and I, I I don't believe that I could possibly get sick, but of course I can, and and there's going to be a moment at some point, as there is in everybody's lives, when that invincible illusion gets shattered, and you do get sick. Like the rheumatic fever is a good example of that, where yeah. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what was happening to me. So so I didn't have to believe it for it to happen to me. Well, the, 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 I was the same. So I I always. Well, it's just because you can't imagine like getting sick and dying and all that sort of stuff. You don't know what it's going to be like. So you mm. can't believe that it's going to happen to you. And I, I used to live exactly the same way. I used to live in one sense of being kind of subconsciously afraid of dying, afraid of the unknown, but also mm. thinking, well, you know, that's going to happen ages down the line. So yeah, I don't yeah. need to worry about that that's now. Right. Not and, even halfway yet. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then obviously I got... Um, you know, diagnosed with a life-threatening illness and that mm. all changed pretty quickly. And that's for me where I got that perspective of, oh, shit, actually one day I, I am going to die. Mm. Or, or then I even had that experience or something of that nature. 
um, after having 14 hour brain operation and being in like high dependency unit of a neurology ward and sort of seeing mortality or facing my mortality. And in that moment of seeing it, everything changed quite dramatically very quickly. So I then got that, oh shit, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect that. And then that, to me, that was my catalyst to, to change myself and all that. And I always say to people that we shouldn't wait. We shouldn't wait for something. You do though. But we do. Yeah. Everybody does. I've never known yeah. anyone to substantially change their outlook no. without something happening. Yeah. Or, and- or or they maybe do come across. That's that's why I try to do my, like what I do, like to try and give people a bit of that relative understanding. Like don't mm. think that, it, you know, don't wait. Um, You know, but again, you've got to have a reason to to want to change and do all that sort of stuff. But. That was interesting, yeah. actually. That uh, that vision impaired guy. Uh, it was a TED talk. I'll I'll link it up in the in the description bit so that everyone can read it. But um, he was talking about the you know the hallucinations and how he helped these elderly people deal with their hallucinations and realize they weren't crazy and all that kind of stuff. And he went through the whole story. TED talk finished. Everything was done. Um, the host comes out and he says, "Oh, that was a really good talk. Thank you." Usually, you don't see that in the TED talks, but this bit this video has it for some reason. And they were asking, and he was asking questions and he said, um, it's funny, it's interesting how you talk about it. You have a lot of empathy for these people. Is it possible that you've had some of these hallucinations? And of course the guy said, actually, yeah, I'm vision impaired and I, I, I've had all of these hallucinations, every single one of them. And that's why I look into it and why it's my passion and stuff. And in a way, I have to admit when I listened to it, I was like a little disappointed that he hadn't just looked into this for some altruistic thing. But that if that's disappointing, then life's going to be pretty disappointing for me because generally people just aren't motivated to do things outside of their experience. It's kind of part of the power of story in a way, right? Where if you don't have a story about it, mm. you can't really understand it or empathize with it in the same way that you can when something happens in your own life. Well, yeah, that's the, the big thing is the the empathy. But that's mm. what makes it, I think, what you're saying is you were a bit disappointed by that. I actually find that most interesting. Mm. Um, well, it's not, I wasn't surprised. Mm. In fact, I knew the answer, obviously. I mean, I was thinking that while I was listening to the talk, he must have been through this, mm. yeah. you know, because that's, I guess, human nature mm. that we can't really, we do have imagination though. Mm. And we can visualize things that are outside of our experience. But I think because it takes a big effort to create a story as opposed to remember one that's actually happened, maybe that's, you know, a bridge too far. Like it's, you, you can only do, you can only make up so many stories in your head that you can empathize with, you know. So I suppose you can't empathize with every person. No, absolutely not. Yeah, You're not you, going to write a whole novel every time you meet someone and go, okay, what, what, what do I need to know about it? Right, I'll just imagine all – I have to go away for about three weeks to imagine yeah, enough stuff to understand you. 100%. I, I think that's like what t- touches on like one of the big sort of failings as human, like humans have is, yeah. is we always think that we should know everything and we should understand everything and we should be able to relate to everybody. But it sort, sort of proves the point that yeah. you can't. It's not really fair. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you should – we can – yeah, we can only sort of like re- relay what we know to be true. I mm. think it's. A, I think that's like one of the biggest skills um, to really master as a human being to really only actually live what we know and communicate and it. communicate what we yeah. what we actually know. I mean, it's we, sort of what we advocate here, right? It's telling mm. your story. So yeah. 
Um, but at the same time, it kind of punches a, a, a flaw in the collective consciousness theory because if we had a collective consciousness that we could draw on, we could draw on stories outside of our experience. But if there is, if that is happening on some level, it's a level that we can't access. But we're still limited to what we what we have to work with. Mm. So even though it's there, you still have to have a, a tool to to filter it through, which is what our nervous system is. Yeah. So you're still going to be, and this is where you can get into all funky things like karma has a big influence on the way things play out. Mm. The, the reason that certain metaphysical energy ends up in a physical body is governed by laws of nature. And this is, this is the thing, because I think we know we have that infinite capacity or access to something, but it's limited by the finite or the physical nature of the body. It's an upload. It's not a download though. Uh, works both ways. I don't think it does as much. I mean, I feel like I'm giving more information than I'm getting. You look at something like, you know, Facebook or your phone we were talking about before, mm -hmm. the way the technologies are sucking away all our information. Mm -hmm. We don't get any information back. I mean, we get, we can browse the internet if we put in some effort. We get a lot of white noise mm -hmm. and we don't really get a, necessarily well, I, anything truthful. I, I, I look at everything as there's, there's like a give and take, even, even from the perspective of like the spiritual side of things with yoga and meditation and stuff like that. It's always presented in the modern world as this thing of like, we have to reach higher states of consciousness. Like that's what mm. this is all about to reach the higher levels of consciousness and all that. But, but if you have a look at the, what's known as the fourth chakra, which is the, the balance point of everything or the heart center, mm. um, it's represented by two intersecting triangles. So that, that ended up looking like a star of David basically. And what yeah. that actually, actually is showing is just as much as there's part of our nature that wants to elevate and come up, the same part, the same force wants to come down. Mm. So we always look at things as it's got to be one way or the other, or we have to be getting something, but it, it is, it all works both ways. So I, I think as we learn, as we learn things and we learn about ourselves, that goes into the broader scheme of consciousness mm. and that those experiences can be more far reaching. It can be going to other beings in other things across the other side of the universe and stuff like that. So I, I think there's, but that's an upload. It's not a download, right? But then somebody else will, will be able to download that. I think, it, yeah, well, that's true. But and, we, I, and we don't always, and, and that may come back and affect us, but I think it's kind of like a cable connection, right? Where mm. it's designed for, well, cable's the opposite way, but it's like the inverse where it's designed to send a signal mm. and the bandwidth is all dedicated to that. But the um, the receiving signal, maybe it's a failing of us, you know, like it's something to do but, with the pineal gland or but, something that- But this but this is what it is though. So we get so, we, we've actually limited ourselves as, as human beings because well, we do limit ourselves because we get so fixated on very minor things. Mm. So when we get fixated and, and things like work, so when we get fixated on work or we get fixated on troubles with relationships or anything like that, the mind becomes very linear mm. and it just gets in these very, very narrow loops. So of course, then we shut, we actually shut ourselves off to the, to what is like more accessible. So we shut us off just through our na narrow frameworks of thinking and that's effectively what meditation breaks down. So mm. when we, when we sit down and and break down the neuroses or like our, our kind of limited frameworks of thinking. Mm. Once we break those down, it just means that we're open for more stuff to come in because 
this still mm. this still only works on a certain capacity like our the way that we can process information going back to what we were talking about at the start it's limited so you know a certain amount is um, our brain is working to keep us alive and to keep us out of danger and all these sort of things. Mm. But if we if we heighten other senses, because there's more things that we can heighten and access. And, and the this most simplest way to look at it is if we don't use a certain attribute of our mechanical nature, it breaks down. And that works for the physical sense. So if we don't if we don't take care of the tissue and we don't take care of our muscles, they yeah. they break down. But if we do things to to build our strength up and to to bring balance into the physical body, we know it works. Exactly the same thing with the mind. Mm. If and you, you know, well, it's the same thing with consciousness in general. Like if if someone yeah. feels like they have nothing can, to contribute to the world, mm-hmm. they might become suicidal or reckless or whatever. Hundred yeah, percent. And and again, you just get stuck into that pattern. Mm. And it's a very fine mechanism. And we've become as human beings too fixated on the physical. So we're mm. very fixated on the physical world and that's where all our problems reside. And that's, you know, we're so, we just believe that that, you know, it's very easy to believe that is, that is it. That's the be all and end all, but it's really not like, and, and this is, this is, and, and when I say meditation, I, I don't mean these things of like chuck an app on for 10 minutes a day and listen like, to Sam and, Harris talking. Exactly. Like those, <laughs> those things are great. Like they have, they have some value and that I look at that as more as like mindful practices, like it's good to understand our minds and how they behave in the same way that our physical, like, you know, we should understand how our physical bodies behave. Mm. The minds, it's a lot more of a, you know, it's a lot more of a thing that's hard to balance or hard to understand. And you can go and do those kind of practices that we've been told what meditation is or sit down, close your eyes, breathe for 10 minutes and you've Mm. done meditation. It's not really what it is. I've tried that. It didn't do anything. Yeah, and 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 it won't because just to really get to the depths of it, it's 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 a process that takes a, a, an extraordinarily uh, um, big amount of effort. Effort, and I can I can touch into a, a, an experience I had recently when I went away, mm. went off to Europe recently, and and ended up going on a ten day meditation retreat. So silent meditation. So no. Was nope. that planned when you left? or Yeah, I'd planned yeah. to go on it, but I really didn't know what I was actually, like I knew what I was going for. I had a, I had an understanding of, of mm. like the process that I was walking into and all that, but my God, was it different to what I thought it was going <laughs> to be like. So this is no mobile phones, no eye contact. So right. not look, and there was 150 people there. It's a weird thing to cut off. You'd think eye contact yeah. to be a positive yeah, but it's thing a, generally. It's a type of communication though. So mm. what you're trying to do is completely isolate yourself. So you're limiting like you, all sensory yeah, input. And also just um, cultivating as much of an isolated type experience. Mm. And um, Just grow up being bullied like I was. It's really easy. You feel well, like that all the time. So I, I wonder been, if that actually is a thing, like growing up feeling isolated Wonder, I wonder if that makes your mind more healthy somehow or, or more like you spend a lot more time being introspective, which yeah, is Yeah, well, of- it, again, it will always be different for the individual. Some people mm. grow up feeling quite isolated and then want to go the other way and become very extroverted and get into mm. things like partying. and well, they end to up be- getting bitter and angry and yeah. focusing on that, it's I all, suppose. It's all different. But this was more, um, for me, a sense of, um, yeah, not having any anything distracting me, right? Mm. So no distraction and just, and we were, and when I say meditation, we were getting up at 4.30 in the morning and meditating to nine o'clock at night. Wow. 
Um, so it takes a, and it's <laughs> not, ridiculous. A, it's not a relaxing thing. So no. people think, oh, meditation, 10 day meditation retreat. That must've been really relaxing. No, it's, um, did you have to have your eyes closed for that time as well? So we would go in. Yeah. Not, no, nobody forcing you to keep the eyes closed, but that's no, the, the general shoot you thing. In the yeah. back of the head and all, if they all, see all you we were doing was, all we were doing through that time was just observing the, the changes of energy in our body. Right. Um, and this is. Like I'm going a long-winded way about what I, the point I was trying to make, but I was um I've been meditating for years yeah before this and or at least you thought you were I thought I was yeah I thought yeah. I knew what the the meditative state was like I'd had these you know I've had mind-blowing experiences through meditation seen visions had um states you that, see um shapes like the hallucinations yeah I've seen I've seen stuff like stuff yeah I've seen stuff like I that. remember you talking about it I think yeah and, and in the same sense I've seen stuff like that on psychedelics as well so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've had those kind of experiences, but they were, go they were dissipating for me, like while I was um, doing the Kundalini yoga and the meditation, they were starting to go away. So I thought I was getting, you know, I had a good understanding about the meditative state and breaking everything down. And then I go on this 10 day retreat and, mm. and yeah, it was like a completely different experience. Um, and I learned like a new layer of, of, of what's there. So like everything else, it's an ongoing experience. So if we really... And and I've come out of that now, out of those ten days, going, oh shit! I actually really don't. I I know know very little, and I've you know I've been meditating for four or five years, like every day, yeah. um, you know at least half an hour a day. And now I've come out of this and gone, well, yeah, I learn a lot through that, but I've uncovered now a whole nother like layer of of how everything behaves and the the mind, how it behaves and how it is like really connected to the body. I've got just mm. so much more understanding that and to that point um i think that was probably about because i track what i'm doing like i'm now doing 120 days of this um specific type of meditation that i learned on this retreat known as vipassana mm. um so i changed my whole morning routine and for people that don't know i have like quite dedicated practice of getting up at 4 30 in the morning and practicing my, about my, my yoga and all this sort of stuff you have to get out of here in like an hour so you can go and go sleep right well i go home and i'll, I'll med meditate, meditate and then and, sleep and then, yeah. yeah yeah so um it's amazing discipline i've yeah but yeah like that. so i've shifted my practice to now practice an hour of meditation each morning mm. which i never used to do before i was more focused on the physical movement stuff and kind of shorter meditations mm. but i'm now just doing a dedicated hour of this this um this meditation technique in the morning and it's still learning so much like learning that there's a lot to break down in terms of my my narrow frameworks of thinking which i've been doing for the last few years anyway but now i feel like i'm even speeding that process up again so mm. um there's there's just forever stuff to learn but i get access like i learned stuff in that you know through meditation that i couldn't learn from reading books or at least i gain insight where things just click yeah. So it's almost it's just almost like a conversion of knowledge to wisdom machine. Mm. Like meditation really is that we can know a lot of stuff, especially in the modern world. We have so much access to information, but to really convert that into true knowledge and and wisdom is a completely different process because you've got to kind of like experience. Uh, tell it. me about it. I I've, I do projects where I create you know software for people to mm -hmm. use, and part of that is training them, and the training. Look, I might be really bad at it. I, I'm not great at it, but uh, the training never sticks. It's always you tell them all the things they need to know because you know already all the things that they need to know how to do. And then it takes until that moment when they go to do something, 
They'll be on the phone to you asking you exactly yep. what you told them in the training. I remembered you had mentioned this in the training, but yep. I wasn't really uh, focused on Yeah, because you can't learn by hearing things. Absolutely not. And, and then again, everybody's different. Some people can. Some mm. people will maybe grab 90% of what you're saying and be able to take it in and, and execute that. But yeah, some people need, like I'm, I'm one of those people that needs to, I need to do something multiple times yeah. until it gets kind of wired into me. And, That's then, right. and then once I know it and have done it multiple times, I'll be able to do it really well. That muscle memory concept. Yeah, yeah. But if, if somebody just tells me something and goes, you know, and, and that, that leaves people's frustration. Do you get frustrated sometimes when people- It's really annoying. You're like, I just- Why bother doing the goddamn training? Exactly. But, <laughs> but this is the thing because you understand it so well. Mm. and you know you you explain it that's where you sort of get that attachment to it and like oh, i've yeah. done all this work you should get it yeah and it's almost yeah. like insulting like in it's a way it's scary too because you build all this stuff you charge them a lot of money mm. and then they can't use it and uh you wonder if they ever will be able to sometimes mm -hmm. you know and if they can't operate it then what have you done for them you've just charged them a whole bunch of money for something they can't use that's that's you know, but have scary. going through that process yourself, do you do you in turn learn from that as well? Like you get that that feedback and then something that was maybe overlooked in the training, you get you know, you can integrate well, what, what you, I, yeah, what you learn do. later on, you integrate that back into the training and stuff. I learned See how that the training like works both ways. The training needs to be more hands on. Yeah. So if you're if you're just uh putting up an image on a projector and showing them stuff, it mm -hmm. definitely won't work. Never does. Mm -hmm. yep. Doesn't matter how much of that you do. If you get them to do it, that's different than you're forcing them into that situation. But it is much more time consuming yeah. and there's only so much of that you can do. Yeah. It's pretty hard. I mean, I guess in in the terms of yoga instruction, that's kind of all of it's physical, right? All of it's you do. You're not showing you, you might do a presentation yeah, at the start, but Yeah, you're yeah, you're just a guide to you try to guide them into a certain space. Mm. And give them a certain experience and I, it's one thing i actually usually start my yoga classes off with is just to say that we're here to have an experience you're here to learn about yourself and just go mm. go through the process sit down and observe what's happening internally and and you should work it's like people will walk out of there and, and not necessarily it's quite brilliant what kundalini yoga can do because if you you touch on the right things for the right sort of person at the right sort of time they can get profound insight to themselves because mm. you try to kind of cultivate self-awareness and i always say at I, I mentioned that at the start of the class just go through the experience and then i always say at the end like you shift energy in the body through doing these kind of things and it's not necessarily then exactly like what happens as a result straight after the class it might be like two three days later because you've shifted their awareness something then something else comes across their life mm. path like something else happens in their life. and because they're they're configured a little bit differently neuro like neurologically like you've changed the chemical balance in the body to a state that it might not have ever been in before and then something like happens to them in their life um that might they might have normally reacted to it another way just like robotically because you've shifted like the neurology or the chem blood chemistry a little bit mm. the way that they might then react to something like that they would normally have robotically done they might just step back and go oh hang mm. on and see it a little bit differently and react in a completely different way and then get that big sense of oh realization oh shit i used to do it this oh and that's what isn't like an ongoing process yeah and the more that you can give yourself those experiences in life of like going like oh may maybe i didn't know everything or maybe i didn't have all the answers mm. 
the the more that we think we know, the more we actually limit ourselves. Exactly. I thought I knew everything when I was 16 years old. Exactly. And I spent a, f- a fair bit amount of time after that not learning anything new. Yeah, yeah. But so, then now when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, yeah. if I'd stop then. So as soon as we limit ourselves to thinking that we know or we, we have all the answers or whatever, we, we do, we, we, we go through a limited process of life. So the more open that we are of like going, well, I have an experience, so how would I know? The more open we are to, to gain new experiences and then we gain more wisdom out of that and that's how you come become like a more uh, not, i don't think saying complete human being is the right way to to express it but you know you, you ties into everything we've sort of been saying like we open up new channels and mm. so if something new opens up to us there has to be a part in the nervous system that responds to that and and, and you might light something up in your brain that then you develop a whole nother like skill like mm. a whole nother skill that might be the start of developing a whole new skill, a whole new way of existing. And that will, that's how you start to light parts of the brain back up and all that sort of thing. This thing that or our nervous system, it's, it's huge. There's so much um, potential in it and a lot of human potential is wasted. Or almost all of it, sadly. I, I, I would say so. I would, yeah. I, again, I can go back to my own, I always just go back to my own experiences. If I, had never have got sick and never got into the practices of yoga and meditation. It's not like I would have had a bad life. Mm. Like, you know, I was still trucking along. I was still doing, you know, the, the norm. You don't like, know what you don't know. Exactly. You don't know what exactly. you're missing. Ignorance yeah. is actually bliss. Mm. Like if you're unaware of things and you well, just. Just look at a dog, right? I yeah. mean, they just sit there, they get a bit of sunlight and go, this is awesome. Exactly. So, <laughs> so the, I, I'm, I'm not saying people should be rushing out and doing all these things and saying that it's going to actually make their life better because it might not. But I'm just saying like from my own experiences, like, and not like once I opened myself up to these new things and I learned more about the mechanics, not just of my physical body, but how the metaphysical structures relate to it and how they work and stuff. And once I started doing the work to, to retune and change these sort of things, like the way I see things now, it's just like, I can't even comprehend how I was before. Yeah. You know, like I'm like, I I think, I think you're wrong about that, that I think we're compelled to do certain things, to pursue certain things. One is freedom. We seem to be compelled to try and get freedom, you know, whatever that is. I I don't even know what it would look like. We definitely don't have it now, but whatever that looks like. And we're definitely compelled to seek truth, strangely enough. Mm -hmm. And I think the people who are not doing those things, and they'll tell you, oh, I don't don't worry about all that kind of stuff. Um, I think they're probably, there's a sadness inside them because they don't pursue those things. Yeah, I don't well, think it's really a choice. So there's something within us that wants to know the truth and truth to everybody. Again. We want knowledge. Yeah. Strangely. And, and it's, it's funny because the fir- one of the first experiences you have as a sentient being is being thrown into a school where they force knowledge down your throat and you come away with the opposite reaction, which is, oh, I, I hate learning. I hate school I hate yeah because like but where's that stuff based on is it necessary based on the fundamental truths of nature the fundamental no, know, no, truths yeah. of existence no i, I, I think we of, could do a whole podcast on why that's yeah you know, because why is I, a failure I, but i went to catholic school so lucky you <laughs> i i got i got fed a whole heap of bullshit so yeah. but see there was something at my core that knew that that was bullshit so yeah um there is there is a mechanism within us that can detect what's true and what's not Mm. Again, that's a skill to um, learn to master. When you going back to what you were saying, also about freedom, there's also that part of our nature that is boundless. That there is something to our nature that is 
you know how you kind of go through life like setting these objectives and mm. like yeah, have you ever told yourself that thing like oh when i get to this thing then it'll be okay and everything will, you know then once you get there it's just on to the next thing so yeah. there's part of our nature that wants to be like unlimited and and infinite and free but we have to live within the constructs of reality well, so we are bound to we are bound we to, do but but just, i think don't we make up artificial goals for ourselves and then Oh, this might actually apply to you. I don't mean to be critical if if this if you take it that way. It's there's this thing that uh, when someone wins a gold medal, it's the saddest day of their life because mm-hmm. they know that it'll never like the thing that they thought was going to fix everything or or make them feel like they were worth something didn't do any of that in mm-hmm. the end. And and you've won, you've achieved amazing things yep. with your marathon running and so on. Do you feel that that's oh, true, that I've, you're still yeah. chasing it? Well, 100%. So not so much now, but I've had those experiences, exactly what you're talking about, where I've worked on like long-term goals, so train mm. for something really hard. Make an audio book. All, yeah, all these sort <laughs> of things. So um, yeah, I used, to, I used to always have this kind of like idea that when, when I get to the, the end or when I win the race or when I do this, then yeah, everything's going to be better. And I've had heaps of those moments where I've kind of got there and it's been like a double-edged sword. Mm. So I've kind of like got there and gone, oh, well, what do I do now? Yeah, you know, like need to make a harder challenge, and that and that's always what I that's always what I did, and I was all and in in a sense that's even like why like was very relative to like taking drugs, Mm. you know, like just in this constant. It is the same thing. Yeah, this constant search and never feeling satisfied. So Mm. never never feeling satisfied. Now now I know that those things won't um like in a sense bring me i don't even want to use the word happiness it's just like yeah, i've still like got to do I, i've still got to do something in my life and yeah. and i just look at it and i go well what do i actually enjoy and i actually enjoy doing that stuff so i enjoy having a goal like i enjoy that sort of stuff but now i i don't have an idea that that's going to solve any of my problems or anything like that you know mm. what i mean i don't i'm not fixated on getting to that point this is more like we i don't like using the term in the moment or because we are all in the moment you can't not be um, oh, you can though. You can be thinking about other things. Yeah, but you're, you're still thinking, ignoring the detail. But you're still thinking in the moment. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. I guess. Like, like I, I still think like I'm more, like, kind of trying to well, more enjoying the journey. So that the the journey of getting there, rather than being yeah. so fixated of like I've got to get there. I've got to get to this point. Um, what was the first moment where you achieved something, and felt like and came to that sort of realization? Yeah. That- I know. I remember it very well. It was actually in Antarctica in 2012. Okay. So I'd been. Well, I've read about that. Then. Yeah. So I was trying to chip off. Um, this was the first time I really realized it. Um, I was trying to chip off running a marathon on each continent, and I'd done it over about three years. But that whole time, it was just like get to Antarctica, get the goal, get the thing, and like like I was. I used to even tell myself that story. I and this is going quite deep into my psyche here, but. I used to always like kind of have these deals with myself or with the universe or with, yeah. or with God you know, or however mm. you want to want to like phrase it. And I remember why I'd be going through these races and I have all this money invested in, you know, traveling around the world to run on all these continents and all these sort of things. And something might happen along the way, like I get an ankle injury or I get sick or something like this that's going to prevent me from doing one of those runs. And I'd always make those bartering things like, oh, you know, just you know, talking to the universe or talking to myself, however you want to look at it and mm. saying like, oh, you know, come on, get me better and just let me just do this thing. And then I'll go and I'll be a better person mm. or I'll go and then I'll go and do something else. And I won't ask, 
I won't ask for anything else after that. And then as soon as I get there, like, it'd be like, well, you know, like. What's your side of the bargain? Where, exactly. Where, yeah. Like, I, and I would never pay back what I would say. Like, all these, yeah. all these like, deals that I would make with yeah. myself or whoever, they would never eventuate because then I would get, this is the whole thing. It's all part of it. Like, then I would get to the next thing and say, oh, well, now I've got to do this. And now here's a whole nother heap of scenarios that I'm just going to create. Yeah. So, again, that's. Um, I think from, from, from my own perspective, that was a lack of understanding about who I was actually conversing with in, in those, yeah. in those kind of conversations. So I do have, you think that there, if, if you were to pursue, let's just say truth and freedom, there's probably other things that we should put in the same category, but sort of the human essentials or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. I think, do you think if two, you pursue them directly, it's any more satisfying than. So I think. Truth is just something that we have to understand, like what we know to be true. So what do we know to experience? Freedom's a different one. So freedom, freedom can't come from anything else but from within. Mm. So you, you look, I think always things like, like look at the things of like Mandela. He's like, he had like a really good um, example of that. Like even though he was incarcerated and on this island, all this, he found peace with yeah. And so I think, I think that is, I think that is like the goal to, to find that internally. So not, to expect that we can get freedom because no matter what whatever the circumstances are around us we have to be well internally to appreciate them or to feel like comfortable in any situation i think freedom's no exception mm. so we need to we need to free ourselves internally and that is a super hard um process to do and i wouldn't even say for myself like i'm not one to sit here and go oh, i've done all this yoga meditation i'm like everything's hunky-dory Absolutely not. I've still got heaps of stuff I need to work on and I don't feel like I'm totally free, but I believe that because I feel more so now than I have in the past through the work that I've done, it gives me hope and encouragement to keep going with what I'm doing because I believe ultimately mm. that there is a, a point that we can get to as human beings where we are free. And I believe that because I've read a lot of, I've read a lot about it. So I've read a lot of examples where, you know, where they talk about it through the practices of yoga meditation and when i say yoga meditation i don't mean stretching and sitting down i, I mean no, these, no, the real deal these yeah. real ongoing things that take a shitload of work um i believe that because i see a change within myself i believe that there's no limit to that so that can mm. keep that can keep going i, I can be freeing myself of my own because it's really my own mind that holds me in places that i don't necessarily want to be so there's uh, the way i see it i don't know i, I sort of feel like I've been deliberately accepting less freedom over time. And when I say deliberately, I mean knowingly. Uh, like I, I've, you know, I've taken on a full-time job, which I didn't have before. I had a lot more freedom when I was contracting, but no stability and responsibilities. But when you, when you say freedom, are you just referring to time? Well, I don't know. That's what I'm mm. saying. It depends how you define things, right? If, if I mm. say freedom is the ability to do anything I want when I want, if that's the the simplistic definition, I have a lot less of that, but I think I'm a lot happier or more content. Well, we, we we live in a we live in a existence where you, you can't just do whatever you want. Well, but that would be the ultimate freedom, right? Where yeah. where people can just run around, you know, murdering and raping and doing whatever they feel like. Yeah. That would be freedom. It's not a desirable state for a society, though. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what I mean. It's see, like that's creating- we have a craving for this idea that can't really be achieved. Or probably maybe yeah. even shouldn't be achieved. Like like freedom, yeah. like like not having kids is is more free than having children, right? 
And and well, I know yeah, you and I we've talked about this before. Yeah, we've less, always said we you know didn't need to have kids or whatever, right? But but that's this is where it very much comes down to an individualistic interpretation of, of what freedom is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but this I, isn't. I don't think there's anyone, even people with kids, who would say you're more free when you have kids. They would say the juice is worth the squeeze, though, right? They'd say that well, it's rewarding in other ways. But that's that's what everything in life is. It's trade off, isn't it? Yeah. So, so you're actually it, accepting chains. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think well, yeah, beneficial. But in if you ways. even look at it from the laws of like, we're bound to the laws of physics. Mm. So you know, like, I'd love to be able to fly. Yeah. I, I think that that would be a freedom if I could just. Oh, quit. I could take flying or leave it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, it's it's we have to still look at the reality that we live in. Mm. Um, and I think that's one thing that gets overlooked quite a lot. Like, we are we are bound to things, and that to me all comes back to the laws of karma mm. and this, I, it could go quite down a big rabbit hole when we start talking about this sort of stuff but i even believe that like the reason that we are here to begin with is because of repercussions of things in the past so right. we know that that's true going through our lives like the choice the thoughts that we have lead to the choices that you know the actions that we take mm. and that has a net outcome of how our life goes and it's a, a cycle that goes around right so if I know that that's true for my life now, that has to be true to what brought me to this point to begin with. So mm. I think that there's, um, you, we, we are bound to those things for a reason. Well, if everything's energy and we know energy just changes form and is recycled, then reincarnation in that sense is completely scientific. Oh, I, I, but I, the I, idea that you can access memories of your former lives and things like that, I have a little bit more difficulty around it yeah because even if you access a memory of something from the past you're still going to have to process it through the present framework of your your thinking so it might be distorted as something else Mm. because if you think about it like why do some people have like seemingly like irrational fears of like spiders if they have Mm. no reason to my mum's afraid of large ships for no apparent reason exactly so so even though we might not see it as being like a memory as we know it to be because because also think about that's a bit of protectionism from the universe as well. Because imagine you could remember everything from everything that's happened. Say it does work like this. Imagine you remembered all the bad shit that's ever happened to you over not just this lifetime, but possibly infinite amounts of lifetimes. You mean just carrying accumulated trauma? Yeah, accumulate. Yeah, eternity. Yeah, yeah. Which, which but isn't that really what the collective consciousness is doing? Well, if there is it, such even a if thing? we don't even have to think about it from an etheric. etheric point of view as a collective consciousness we even know through the study of like epigenetics and stuff like mm. this that stuff that happens to you know our our parents and gra- it's imprinted into us us genetically so yeah. even from a physiological perspective we know that there's information being passed down through genetic chains and stuff like that and that's mm. again just from a physical sense like but, but that's another example of where the upload exceeds the download. We give so much information and then we get a few genes to tell us to well, be afraid of things we, with sharp teeth. But we can we can change that though through the, through the can way we? through the way you we mean per- we can preserve more information through no the we can change like the genetic stuff that gets passed on through right through our behavior. So we can like in a, in a sense like change that what that download will be by putting an upload into it. So. This may be a bit simplistic, but doesn't DNA preserve what we judge to be the most important things to pass on during our lifetime, basically? Like, I don't know how that mechanism works, but yeah, I'm not. But obviously, being afraid of things with claws was, you know, historically and evolutionarily important. We're like really sort of simplifying it then. And I, I yeah. don't think 
either of us know too much about how, no 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 how we're to, way outside of to, any like any i have like area. very high level understandings of it yeah. um but not yeah i couldn't go into the that's into the way the, i think of it i think of yeah, things get, in quite simplistic terms, i get what you're saying that i'm expert in <laughs> but but like we're still then thinking about things quite historically so i just think about it like what are we doing now like what are we doing collectively passing what traits are we now passing on to the next generation? We can change those. Yeah. Like the if we if we learn new things, it gets imprinted into us and we pass it on. Mm. So we can like if we're creating bad traits and stuff like that now, we're going to be passing those on. So we have almost a responsibility to the the generations that come after us to yeah. to try and minimize that that sort of stuff, right? Sure. So yeah. that so there is a still a give and take. There is still an upload and a download. And I still think we're giving more than we're getting. Yeah. I think the download's slower. Well, yeah, maybe it's like it's like the bloody NBN, but you know, in I, reverse. I, I think everything ha- like ultimately has a a balance and mm. an, and an equal trade off. So if if you maybe, but I think we take in a lot of energy that's not knowledge. We take in food or light or you know all that kind of stuff we absorb a lot of and stuff. all of that all of that stuff that we take in ultimately influences how we are as human beings sure it, yeah. it influences our conscious experience so mm. even even the type of you, you ever ha- had that ex- experience where you eat too much and it's heavy food and then you feel heavy mm. and you, you can feel down from it mm. same way if you eat vibrant food and lightly and all that sort of stuff you can get energetic from it so well i mean if you think about uh the fact that norway has the highest suicide rate of all the countries in the world and they think it's due to the the fact that they're they just don't get the same quality of light because Mm -hmm. it's so dark yeah so norway and 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 finland up in lapland that's right is like one of the uh, so like up in the arctic up in finland they have per capita the highest suicide rates in the world so i just wanted to get on to one one other topic which I think is kind of related. Uh, my consideration of what's related to what is often not something other people agree with. But, you know, we were talking about the brain in the jar, but but the, the other version of the brain in the jar is the upload to virtual reality. And this is a real thing. Like no one is ever going to live as a brain in a jar. Mm-hmm. Although there is a movie called The Man with Two Brains, which you should check out. I, mean, I know you're not a big movie buff, but it explores this idea. But... um. You know, you've got Elon Musk, he's working on his neural net thing and uh, being able to interface between computers and uh, human brains. And, you know, you've got all of these ideas happening in technology and it just seems to be a real agenda, you know, this transhumanist agenda to try and get people to merge with technology. And it all seems to lead to this consciousness upload somehow and, and that we would all go live in a computer or whatever. And you know, then you've got Elon Musk saying we're already in one, and you know the fact that you know the idea that we're in base reality is is has a low probability. All of this nonsense. We're being conditioned to think about this. So, what do you think about the upload? I mean, well, I- if you could simulate all of the aspects of being human, including all of the nerves, nervous system, and and all of those things, every gland, every single cell in the body, would consciousness be preserved? I don't think so. So what would be? The I don't difference? think it would be able to be replicated in the way that we experience it because it's far too complex in the way but that. That's it's a limitation working. of the computing power, right? Let's say that that becomes somehow infinite. You know that the quantum computing revolutionizes it, and you can simulate it to the level of granularity of reality, which would be the atom or whatever we talked before about. Maybe the atom so, isn't the most so, granular, but anyway. So I, I look at myself and my experience of life as 
not just what's happening in my thoughts. I think about myself as the way that every cell or every atom in my body is vibrating is ultimately giving me my experience of consciousness. The way that I'm mathematically configured is the output of my consciousness, right? And those things can be changed. Those vibrations can be changed. Now, that's running off a very, very complex system and Mm. tied in with the laws of nature. Could you... Could we replicate? I, I just don't think that it would be possible to take a snapshot of that because it's a dynamic thing and it's quantum data. So that opens up a whole realm of like technical things that we can't even comprehend at the moment. No, I, I agree. It's hard to imagine. So, but you're, you're saying like, can we, could we write a program that replicates the human experience? No, because it's also vastly different to the individual. So what, one person would try to write for their program. How could you then cram somebody else into it? Because could you imagine the mismatch? It'd be like, but we all live in the same reality and physical space. Could you imagine how much it would freak you out if you were kind of just like having your familiar experience and then you were always, all of a sudden like stuffed into this simulation of that, like supposed like simulation of that, of somebody else's interpretation, like, the way that me and you see reality is very different. Mm. You know what I mean? Like everybody has a different. But we still have a good, and this might, might just be faith, but we believe we're inhabiting the same reality, whether we perceive it the same or not. Oh, we, yeah, this is what I mean. Like, could you imagine you sort of like just open your eyes and it was like through a completely different framework of thinking? But it wouldn't be. You could still have your own perception. That's your consciousness, right? So you're still filtering the virtual reality in the same way. If it's modeled exactly on, the earth and it wouldn't be because you'd be like yeah i'll, I'll do it yeah, but only I if i can fly yeah i don't want that thing i don't want this yeah, yeah I, because like i just i just oh, i don't know it just kind of freaks me out to think about because i just i see myself as dynamic ongoing constantly learning and building and the universe is taking do that in virtual reality but the universe has taken like however many billions of years to, to kind of create this this mechanism to be able to do that i just mm. don't think that we'd be able to do that one anytime soon and i and even if we do get to a point where we can somehow use quantum computing or something of that nature and then try to write some software to try to replicate the laws of nature because that's basically what you would have to replicate yeah you would have to understand the fundamental laws of nature and not just the laws of physics yeah like the fundamental laws of nature the things that the reason that quantum mechanics works the way you'd have to understand all of that i think to be able to try and replicate this and, and if I, you can understand all of that then you're probably god <laughs> well <laughs> because who can understand something a system that they're living within and they've never seen outside of it's impossible yeah right? i just it's i just the limitation of human I consciousness just understand how for me like unwrap unraveling like little bits of myself and seeing the complexities of my own self to try and replicate that against something else and then the, the laws of nature but yourself would be preserved yeah in, but in i don't digital think it, form i don't think it would be i don't well think, the, I don't, that would be the idea i don't think well, yourself it, is not part of the program I, I i'll put it this way if i had that say that existed right now say what you're talking about and it was flawless and had been tested i i still don't think i'll buy into it Mm, I don't I'd be I'd be pretty nervous about I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it because from my own experiences um have having near-death experiences and what I've learned through yoga and meditation I don't I don't I don't believe that let my death 
for me or, or death in its in its sense like when this mechanism that i'm living in at the moment this body that i'm living at the moment when that runs out and, and it's had its course of energy and it's done what it's here to do mm. and it switches off i absolutely don't believe that that's the end mm. i i through my experiences i and i'm quite excited in the same sense to see what happens next and i think putting myself into some sort of simulation like you're talking about actually limits that it actually limits me from then going on to the next phase of learning Mm, well that's an interesting and and i look at it as not just not in terms of human evolution i look at it as i don't even like using the word spiritual you know i try to avoid that word but you know if we're talking about a sense of ourselves that is not tangible from the physical nature but we know that there's something else that lives in us like i believe you know we could, there's something there's a part of us that, that can observe our mind and can observe our physical so body. that's that's why you can't buy into a virtual reality experience because everything else that you believe so that the the physical gives rise to consciousness right that these things are all related mm-hmm. not just related they're all part of the same system mm-hmm. that would lead you to to believe if you can model the behavior of let's say atoms for the sake of argument that the computer would be the same, right? Mm. But the part that you're that that you have in your mind that stops you from being able to accept that idea is that you believe there's something beyond the physical. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. No, it's it's yeah more than a belief. Like it's I like it'd be very hard to convince me otherwise. I'm not going to try. Like, like just, we don't have time for that. But, but, but- I, I, by the same token, I wouldn't try to convince. I've I've learned enough through the experience that I wouldn't try to convince anybody else. You know, if they didn't believe that, I'm not going to sit here and waste my time trying to convince anybody else of that. So, mm. if if somebody like sort of said, "Oh, I'm going to go upload myself," I'd be like, "Go for it." Yeah. <laughs> like if that if that's what you want to do, then well, then, then go. Not for if it. it was like your mother or someone that you cared about, though, you'd be like, <laughs> well, hey, you maybe just yeah, yeah. I don't really want to talk to you through a screen, so yeah. So I just I just look at it from my own perspective. Would I upload my would I want to take like if my body was about to run out or break down or whatever? Would I want to be then sucked into a virtual world, preserved digitally? No, no. I wouldn't want to either. Mm. But I don't have anything in my belief system that prevents it being possible. However, I don't believe that it's possible. Oh, it's, I, I I don't feel like it's possible. It's one. It's well. Let's just rule this out now. It's not. It's not going to be possible anytime soon. Yeah, probably not in our lifetimes. Not, not, not any, not anytime soon. Even if we get quantum computing it, to write software for something like that, would just be mind-boggling. It's not going to. If it does happen, it's not going to happen. I don't think it'll be a matter of writing software. It'll be. It'll be artificial intelligence. It'll it, be a simulation. It'll thing. write itself. Yeah, it won't be a mm. software. It'll be a framework. It'll be different. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it has to run itself, and it has to. Yeah, has because to it has grow. to be constantly. Of it has to be it, in the same way that our bodies are constantly learning. We got to remember, there's so much happening right now just yeah. to keep us alive, and 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 it is. It's dynamic. It's always learning. It's mm. yeah. But that, if, if you look at artificial intelligence now, right? People working with artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, coming out and saying things like, uh, "We fed a computer." a thousand pictures of cats mm-hmm. and then the computer could recognize cats, mm-hmm. but we don't fully understand the mechanism by which it is used, you know, that it's recognizing cats and they're doing amazing things. Like they're getting it to diagnose 
say pancreatic cancer or something, they keep showing it pancreases and mm-hmm. they show um, this one's got cancer. They tell it this one's got cancer. They do hundreds of thousands of these. And then eventually the computer can diagnose within like 98% certainty uh, pancreatic cancer, which is, so this is this is like, an example, right? This is still done what, under like supervised learning sort of thing. It's just fed into the computer and the computer starts to tell you whether or not this thing matches the attributions that it's made by itself but it has to get data given to it over time and then it's we have to train it be plotting it we have to train it yeah but that doesn't mean that that's the only way it can get trained that's just how Mm. we do it now and it's it's a scary thought because the people who coded it don't know how it's doing what it does Mm. they don't actually know they can they can say okay there's two pictures one's got cancer one hasn't the computer gets it right and they can look at the two pictures and say we don't know what it's looking at to see that. We don't oh, know yeah, how it's yeah. detecting that anymore. Oh, yeah. Right. So the computer is exceeding the visual acuity of the humans or mm. the ability to diagnose. Now that's great technology and it's going to actually revolutionize medicine. Um, but that's a good example where this is an automated system that's just doing what it does. And it's now doing something we don't understand anymore. Mm. Well, right? that's, ter- that's, that's terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I even remember like, to sort of go off on a bit of a tangent there but i remember when i was working in the investment bank industry doing enterprise it architecture Mm. and we were you know developing systems that were to do financial trading and stuff like that and they were doing the trades at like mind-boggling speeds you know speeds of you know like on fiber fiber optics and all that sort of stuff and then you think about it and you're like well I see the number that they're talking about and the exponential number that they're using and all that, but that doesn't mean anything to my brain. Yeah. Like I don't, and that's going even way, way steps back from what you're talking about. Even that to me back then was terrifying. Mm. Like these machines are doing things that like, I can't even co- comprehend. And that we was just, a while ago. And that was a while. And we were just talking about like computing numbers yeah. and the speeds that they were doing that, you know, I couldn't even wrap my head around that. And yeah, now that now we're doing stuff like this, well, we're also well, developing specialized hardware to simulate the parts of the, you know, the compartmentalized parts of the brain that do specific tasks. You know, we've got, I got a webcam pointed at you right now. That's not recording as far as we know, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the computer's eye, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it can use that to do exactly what yeah. we do with our eyes. So I just think the, the idea that we can't ever have a virtual reality that could simulate the physical world well enough to create the same consciousness or even support a consciousness being, consciousness being uploaded to it. It's a lack of imagination of the technology, which is understandable because we haven't seen it yet. And it's also a belief that somehow we're special. And while I always say we're special, yeah, we're special, but we're not magical. We're still physical. So if I believe that, I have to believe that there could potentially be a virtual reality world that would be indistinguishable from this one. And that's where I get stuck because I don't really believe it, even though I kind of have no reason not to. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's quite a, a conflict. That's why I find it interesting. Yeah, topic. yeah, yeah, massively. I wish I had a belief that would contradict well, I, I, it. I, I, can't, I can't say either way. I can't say whether it's going to be true or not. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe it will happen one day. I will just answer it from my perspective that I wouldn't want to jump into that machine. I definitely wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely if somebody do if somebody does come up with it, I, I don't think I'd want to jump in there. I wouldn't even trust it. That you know, I'd I'd just think it was someone saying, 
just coming up with an excuse to exterminate the human race by yeah. saying, yeah, upload yourself. You'll be fine. Yeah. Hey, look, there's a guy in a computer there. See, he, he says he's happy. It's such a weird concept, man. Yeah. It's crazy. I think. Yeah. Solves a lot of problems. Well. Don't have to worry about the environment anymore. Just make a new one, right? Virtual yeah. environment. Yeah. Crazy. All right. Well, I'm conscious of time. I know you've uh, you've got to head off, so um, maybe we'll uh, do another one of these. Oh, I mean, these, these are topics that you could talk endlessly on so we could do a hundred podcasts like yeah. these i think but, that's so. always good to have a chat anyway it's good yeah. to, good to get the, fun. the mind thinking in different ways it is yeah i enjoyed this one it was we didn't cover much of what i actually had planned so. yeah we never do it always go, <laughs> it always goes off on its tangents but that's, yeah that's, that's right tough. at least we did the brain in the jar i wanted to get to that that's point it's half the fun yeah all right thanks doug cool man and um before you go tell everyone how to get the audiobook like at least one platform that you know it'll be on is it gonna be on audible or yeah something? it'll be on audible at some point in time, hopefully. All it's right, just, cool. Just, and 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 just so people know, it was recorded on you know narratively speaking hardware. So yeah, you know we'd we'd like to get some support for it, see that it works, and yeah, one well, day I'd like to publish my own book that way. That's why I helped you out with it. So I look forward to hearing that too. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Cheers.